0: To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday.
1: All aboard The Mothership, the geek culture podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday! Let's meet the group. I'm Brett Molina. I cover video games. And the thing that has been keeping me sane for the most part this week, um, I got sucked into the documentary series, The Dark Side of the Ring. Um, this was done by Vice. I think it was released in Canada initially, and then it came out here. It's on Hulu right now. And basically, it's a documentary on pro wrestling and kind of all the darker stories surrounding the the sport. Um I found it really fascinating. There were some layers of stories that I didn't know about. The first episode of season one focuses on Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Eliz- Miss Elizabeth and kind of their marriage before the, you know, before they actually got married in the ring. They were married for years and kind of talking about managing their relationship and everything that went on. Um, but again, these are all really tragic stories. So it talks a lot about, you know, Miss Elizabeth and, and how, ha- you know, her early death. And then also obviously Macho Man too. Um, but there were just a lot of really interesting stories there. The second episode was on the Montreal Screw Job, which was, you know, obviously the famous Bret Hart-Sean Michaels match. Um, I skipped ahead because I just was really curious. And they have, uh, the second season has a two-part um, look at the death of Chris Benoit, which was, I mean, watching it again, it was just heartbreaking and really tragic. And it was, you know, I remember, it, it, it helped me recall, like, what when I heard what happened with Chris Benoit and how, like, shocked and floored I was and just just watching it again was just really it was just really sad and tragic and I think it reminded me too watching that series that you know we see the headlines of like Chris Benoit and everything that happened and everything with his wife and his son but there were also a lot of other people that had to deal with the after effect like he had an older son that was then having to just deal with everything that happened also um his wife's sister Um, So it was just really sad. And, you know, just a reminder of like, you know, wrestling has been fun to watch, but also there are just a lot of really sad stories there. And, um, you know, but it's again, it's just been fascinating as someone that grew up with wrestling and, um, you know, watched it through college and still kind of watches it from time to time when it's on TV. Um, So, yeah, I highly recommend it if you're a wrestling fan.
2: Yeah, I still need to watch that.
1: It's it's really good, and they and and some of the other episodes are really interesting. Um, And a couple I want to get back into. They have one about Bruiser Brody, and just looking at his death. And um, yeah, there's there's just a lot of really interesting stories to be told. What's your favorite one so far? Um, wow. Uh, Little favorite, (laughs)
2: favorite. Maybe maybe not favorite, but like most interesting.
1: Though honestly, the one that I was fascinated by the most was one called "The Last of the Von Ericks." Mm-hmm. Which is about the f- only surviving brother of the von Erich family. There are five brothers and all but one of them died. And so it just kind of re spoiler alert. I'm sorry to spoil that, but obviously it's it's out there for a long time. But, yeah pe-
2: most people think the family is cursed. I mean because so oh, yeah. many of the, so many of the kids died. It's crazy.
1: Well, I remember in in middle school i I was deep deep into wrestling and so I was just looking for anything that was wrestling. So I stumbled upon I think it was world class championship wrestling just on a whim. And that's when I saw Carrie Von Eric and all those guys. And I was like, oh, these guys are really cool. And, um, so I remember, you know, being, I remember the Von Eric's growing up, they weren't on TV as often as like WWF stuff, but yeah, they're, it's just so sad. Everything with that family. I just can't like the, the poor brother seeing him be interviewed for all this. It's just like, and, and some of it's, you know, some of it was just kind of personal demons they're dealing with but then the first brother that passed it was just kind of i think it was just a fluke thing it was like a gastroenteritis or something Oh,
2: that, like was that. it the toxic toxic shock syndrome
1: i or so yeah i think that's what it was yeah. where yeah was i remember just,
2: reading about that when i was a kid
1: yeah and it's just like man it's just how you know it's just awful i just you know you just feel terrible for the family but it was just i i liked it because i liked seeing the brother and how he's persevered through all of it i mean this is and he you know he talks about coping with with you know after all his brothers are gone and i just enjoyed the fact that he was able to persevere through that he has kids of his own now and it's just the fact that he was able to kind of pull himself out and you know kind of find a new life beyond this was i think that was probably the best part of this series so far
2: Uh, Well, I'm Brian Truett. I watch movies, and uh, what's getting me through this week um, is uh, horror movies. (laughs) We're going to get to one in here in a second, but uh, it is the scary movie season. It is officially October. um, So, you know, there's lots of stuff kind of out there in terms of, of things to watch. Welcome to Blumhouse. The new Amazon anthology starts next week um and, but but you know one of the interesting places for for horror has been Netflix they have a lot of they've they've been streaming a bunch of different horror movies for a while now for a few year, a few years now and they're pretty good um out this we out today actually um is vampires versus the Bronx which is kind of a throwback to like lost boys and and goonies and and things like that where we grew up um, it's 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 about like three young friends in the Bronx who have to deal with a nest of vampires. When like the vampires move in the, Bro- to the Bronx and like they come in under like disguise of like gentrification and like putting up like vegan ice cream food trucks and like <laughs> kale stores and like bread restaurants and you know just really hipster stuff and like the neighborhoods all like. What's going on here? Even though it's, like, it's very creepy what they're doing, and then the kids find out, and, like, it becomes, like, the whole community versus vampires. So that's pretty fun. And then um, also, The Babysitter Killer Queen It's a sequel to The Babysitter, which was a couple years ago. And that's, again, that's kind of a, it's got a throwback 80s vibe to it um the sequel both watch it you know they're both on netflix if you've never seen them either of them watch them both now because they're 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 pretty tight it's they're in real and really fun um but yeah it's like netflix is an interesting place to go kind of deep diving in terms of like they've got some old horror flicks too but like their originals are are really good because they've got like they've got some stephen king adaptations like gerald's game and um there's uh, a the, well in the TV shows too. Uh, obviously, Stranger Things, but also the Haunting of Bly Manor is coming up next week, and then the Haunting of Haunting of Hill House, which was like the first scenes of the of the of that Mike Flanagan anthology show. That's and that came out. Um, I think it was last year, or a few years ago. But it's great. It it will freak you out. So I would. I, so if you're gonna get into a scary mood, watch that. You know, watch Bly Manor next week. Just. Just go on a horror binge in Netflix.
1: All right. I'm going to have to check out that Vampires in Brooklyn movie. Yeah, you dig Um, That sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Um, If this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of The Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could write a quick review about the show because you not only help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us, as a bonus, you get a shout out on the next episode. So try it out. Everybody wins. It's all upside for you. And we get great feedback. It's wonderful. Don't forget, along with leaving me a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod, Or you can send an email to MothershipPod at USAToday.com. Uh, let's get to the main topic this week. Here's a clip.
2: The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the US. S. will be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one.
1: Ready? You today.
0: What do you mean? I'm in place. Can we help you? Finish this. What are you doing? I can't, can't pull the trigger. Pull the
1: trigger. That was from the new sci-fi horror film Possessor, which stars Andrea Riseborough as a corporate assassin who, using brain implant technology, is inserted into a subject to execute high-profile targets. And Christopher Abbott stars as a man whose body she inhabits to pull off her latest job. The film's directed by today's special guest, Brandon Cronenberg, who knows a thing or two about body horror. His father is acclaimed filmmaker David Cronenberg, the man who gave us The Fly, Scanners, Videodrome, and a whole lot more. Uh, Brandon, thanks so much for being here.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: So we've been asking a lot of our guests this. How has your quarantine been going?
0: Um, you know, for the most part, it's been fine. I mean, uh, Ontario, not the best place in Canada to be, but but Canada has been generally pretty good this summer. We're sort of getting our second wave right now.
2: Uh, cool. Well, well, Possessor is very much a movie about identity. That was one of the things I really got from that when you were kind of creating it, what was your starting point of inspiration that led to the story that that we we'll all get to see?
0: Um, so I started writing it during the Antiviral press tour. Antiviral was my first feature, and uh, the first time you you travel around with a film, it, it's a pretty strange experience because you're really inventing this public persona and and you're kind of performing a version of yourself, or this media self. That then goes off and has its own weird life without you, uh, so because of that and a few other things, I, I was going through a period of kind of i think not seeing myself in my own life. I, I was sitting up in the mornings and, and feeling like I was sitting up into someone else 's life and scrambling to construct some kind of character who could function in that context. Uh, so I wanted to initially write a film about uh, someone who May or may not be an imposter in their own life, uh, as a way of talking about how we uh, create characters and narrative just to function in a in a basic way as people.
1: So, uh, when it came to you know creating your own brain implant device for this, did you look into any real life science um, to kind of draw to kind of make it feel like it's kind of as close to the real thing as you can?
0: Uh, yes, absolutely. I looked at uh, more more recent science was BrainGate. There's a there's a whole interesting. Uh, brain machine interface world right now. I, I mean, a lot of people saw the Elon Musk uh, pig brain implant video recently, but that's been going on for a long time. And I, actually a lot of the, uh, the early research into it was that I, that I looked at, the neuroscience was being done in the 50s and 60s. Um, in particular, this Dr. Jose Delgado, who's a Spanish doctor working in the U.S., was doing some very interesting uh, experiments at the time with uh, brain implants, uh, putting uh, electrical wires into people's brains and electrically stimulating certain areas of the brain. It, it was it, It's interesting. It's kind of terrifying. He was able to uh, control a, an alarming range of functions, motor functions, uh, emotions, and uh, behavioral functions. Um, and in fact, in the film, there's a scene where Uh, There's this kind of documentary playing on the TV with this bull who's charging someone. And and that footage Mm -hmm. is from one of his experiments where he implanted a bull with this device he called a stimociever, which was a a receiver with an electrical uh, stimulator. Um, So the bull charged him and then he was able to hit a button on the receiver and it would fear off. And that was a, a kind of showy demonstration of the, the work he was doing at the time.
2: So there's definitely, like, there's sci-fi and horror elements, but also there's a lot of action elements. There's thriller, mystery. There's a lot of genres that you have kind of going on, even a little bit of family drama in here, too. Um, was that kind of what you wanted to do, was kind of have something that, like, had a lot of your interest and you could go a lot of different places for a lot of different people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I like... Genre mashups, I also really like pairing kind of, um, I guess, sort of satirical or philosophical th- issues with sort of pulpier, more visceral, entertaining uh, storytelling. So again, as, as I was saying, it started in many ways with those kind of more dramatic scenes, the family scenes and the relationship scenes. Um, and I built out the more thrillery sci-fi stuff uh, from there. But I, I really like being able to dabble in, uh, in both of those genres.
1: So, uh, the, the new release is labeled as Possessor Uncut. Um, what are, you know, what are some of the differences between, between versions of the movie or can you talk a little more about
0: that? Sure. Uh, so there are two versions of, of the movie. One is Possessor Uncut, which is fortunately getting the, uh, it's, it's leading our release in the US and I had a lot of great support from Neon and Walgo here in uh, releasing the, the uncut version. So that is the unrated director's cut. That's the full film. And, and that's what I would consider to be the, re- the real film, quote unquote, real film uh, that people saw at the premiere at Sundance. There is also a uh, cut version of the film that was cut to get an R rating. So that, that will probably get some kind of release on platforms that won't put out an unrated film.
2: Is there a real big difference between the two? It depends what you're interested. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's a know. couple of scenes. I'm like, yeah, I can see where that that was probably like maybe toned down a little bit.
0: Yeah, there are a few things were toned down in it basically. So if you, uh, you know, I I feel lucky to have just been able to do a, a, an unrated director's cut and to have that get such a a big release. I, I think the R version is a necessary evil, but uh, you know, I. It, it is what it is. I, I don't like it as much because it changes uh, the film in, in ways that uh, were just necessary to get the rating. Uh, obviously, I'd prefer people to see the uncut version, but um, you know, I'm, I'm also glad to be able to play on a variety of platforms.
2: There's a really creepy sequence, and you see it kind of in, in some of the marketing materials and everything, where Chris is wearing this melted mask, wax mask of Andrea. How did you come up with that idea? Was that kind of like pleasantly unnerving for everybody filming that day? Um, I mean, I... I it's I like the one little signature thing of this movie. It's really kind of neat because it is so unnerving.
0: Yeah, I forget. <laughs> Honestly, I forget at what point that came into the writing process. I, I was just uh, feeling my way through a hallucinatory sequence that I wanted to have some kind of symbolism and, and I wanted him to uh, be disguising himself as her in a way to to kind of, uh, I guess, illustrate the, the back and forth of the power dynamic there. And um, I, I don't know how creepy it was necessarily to film it. I mean, to get that red and yellow Uh, coloring, that was all done in camera practically. So it was a gel over the the lens and I was sitting there with a flashlight kind of (laughs) shining the flashlight (laughs) into the side of the lens to get the flare. And then Chris was putting on this sort of, this mask, which is creepy in the film, but of course, like so many other effects, uh, when you're actually on the set uh, playing around with them, it's a a silly rubber mask. So uh, I I don't think shooting it was creepy, but uh, I'm glad that it's having that effect in the film itself because that was certainly... As intended.
1: Now I'm picturing members of the cast and the crew like g- randomly grabbing the masks, spook people and stuff on set. <laughs> just, Everybody gets
0: hilarious. their own Andrew
2: Wasp mask at the end of the
1: show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's talk about your your background in sci fi and horror. When or was there a moment where you first really gravitated toward that genre? Uh,
0: I mean. Science fiction in particular, I've always been interested in from, uh, I guess, a a nerdy, as as a nerd growing up, you know, especially from a literary perspective, read a lot of science fiction. I really like Philip K. Dick and uh, Kurt Vonnegut and J.G. Ballard. Um, In terms of filmmaking, you know, I don't know. I never made a conscious decision to specifically be a sci-fi filmmaker or a horror filmmaker, that's just kind of where my head has been. Um, I think those are great genres to be able to explore the real world in in, in kind of a satirical way, because you can take what's really happening and and kind of exaggerate and caricature and and look at it through a different lens. So I I, I definitely like those genres, and and they're very much in line with the the next projects I have in development. But I wasn't consciously choosing to... uh, uh, embrace them and and i i may do other things I, I don't know it's not it's not really a deliberate process that way
2: when you were old enough to watch them what was the first movie of your dad's that you watched do you remember uh good
0: question i think it was probably a tv edited version of um fast company okay <laughs> <laughs> not going for I, the fly I, when
2: you were a kid <laughs>
0: No, I think I saw Fast Company on beta and in retrospect, I I don't remember there being a lot of nudity in it. So it was probably a TV edit. Gotcha. Did you like it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what's your favorite movie of your dad's? Fast Company. Okay. Um, So Halloween's coming up soon. Um, What are two horror movies that mean the most to you? Whether it's for professionally or just personally, what are the two that really stand out?
0: I don't know. I'm terrible at answering that question. <laughs> as soon as anyone asks me anything like that, I just draw a complete blank. I'm sorry.
2: Is there is there a is there a type of horror that kind of that that you're attracted to in terms of you know the metaphorical stuff or you know monster certain kind of monster? Is there something that you know when you when you do watch horror as a as a fan that you're kind of like that uh, appeals to you?
0: Honestly, I. I like to watch a wide range of stuff. I mean, some sometimes uh, the, you know, the schlockier stuff is fun. You know, something like Nightmare Weekend. We watched a lot when we were uh, making the film. We, uh, I watch a lot of movies with some of my close collaborators, like Kareem Hussein, my cinematographer and, and Rob Cotterell. Um But also we looked at, uh, you know, a lot of Argento, for instance, we looked at uh, at opera to to kind of use as um, inspiration to a certain degree for some of the stylized violence. Um, you know, I like I like all of that stuff. I like I like a good range.
2: You mentioned that, that you're working on uh, figuring out a few things now. Um, are you going in any places? I mean, is Is there something that's happened kind of in the world recently that's inspired you to go in the same direction as, like, like you mentioned that, you know, kind of you were on a press tour and you were kind of, you know, you were thinking about identity and stuff that led to, to Possessor? Is there anything that kind of is going on in your own life that's kind of like getting the wheels turning for your next projects?
0: Well, I have two uh, two films that are fairly long, far along in development that were conceived of a while ago. So one of them is Infinity Pool, which is a kind of tourist resort satire with some sci-fi horror elements. And the other one is a space horror film called Dragon. Um, those probably will be the next films that I make because they're they're so far along in that process. Obviously, it's been a very strange year, I think, <laughs> I think for everyone. And I can't... It hasn't really settled yet. I mean, it's an interesting time to be making art because uh, what's happening in reality is so incredibly surreal uh, that it's hard to even know how to approach it from a satirical standpoint or, or how to really analyze it or, or uh, <laughs> present it in a way that, that is uh, going to really give anyone perspective on it. Maybe when the smoke clears, uh, I'll, I'll be inspired to do something based on what's going on right now but at the moment i'm just trying to get my other things off the ground Mm
1: -hmm. so one last question before we let you go um with quarantine what are things that you're doing to just keep yourself sane through all this because obviously you said it's such a strange year and we're you know trying to just find ways to cope you know what are you doing to kind of help you get by during this time
0: uh i'm trying to focus on work for the most part um that's <laughs> that, That's the main thing, and, and just trying to use the time constructively, to be honest. Um, some online video games with other out-of-work filmmakers, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Uh, <laughs>
1: What's your go-to game right now?
0: <laughs> uh, Warzone.
1: Oh, excellent. Okay. How good are you at it? Because I haven't played in a while, and I found myself going in about a month ago and realized I need to practice because I'm not looking good at it right now.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, not good. <laughs> All right. Well,
1: great. Well, thanks so much for your time. It was great having you. And, uh, and best of luck with career and the movie and everything else you got going on.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care.
1: Okay, listeners, it's your turn. Are you going to watch Possessor? Do you have a favorite Cronin film? Uh, let's talk about it on Twitter. You can find us at MothershipPod or you can tweet at us individually. I'm at molina 23 And I'm at Brian Truitt. Don't forget, you can email us too at MothershipPod at USA uh, that'll do it this week. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of The Mothership, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please, please, please leave us a rating or a review because it helps other people find the show. We get great feedback and you get a shout out the next episode. Uh, if the Apple Podcasts isn't your jam, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. Uh, until next week, nerds, out. Later.